think the single most important, the most pivotal player, maybe on the entire team, JT, is left tackle Andre Dillard. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast for Monday, August 7th. I'm your host, Easton Fries, director of published content here at broadwaysportsmedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network, and you can follow me on social media at Easton Fries. I'm joined, as always, by producer JT, who you can follow on social media at JT underscore Runky. JT, how are you? Where are we today? Yeah, I'm continuing my world tour, and by world tour, I mean journey up the east coast the um, east coast of the united states <laughs> yeah i'm uh i went from cincinnati to baltimore spent the weekend there and watched the mets lose two very atrocious games so that was As fun but do. i saw i saw As a lot of dogs do. so that was cool sure. um and now i'm in the greatest state in the united states of america new jersey so the greatest to be here. yeah in what category category <laughs> the greatest the greatest state in the category of worst states maybe that's hey maybe no, that's where no, they're it's it's the greatest state in, the, okay. in america so i'll allow you to have that opinion <laughs> um welcome into the show everybody great monday show for you today absolutely stacked got a ton to talk about from training camp the titans uh were out there today as well as this past friday i have some thoughts from both of those two practices and then jt you and i are going to spend the second half of today's show Going through the AFC South position group by position group, picking and choosing our rankings uh, of, of all four teams at each position group. And uh, maybe some debate will be inspired. Maybe we will go full skip Bayless. We will embrace the debate and discuss um, our thoughts on, on those different position groups. And it's a good opportunity for us to just exercise our knowledge of the uh, the depth charts around the AFC South. You know, we, we like to encourage fans of any team but in particular titans fans that watch this show to do their best to be as educated fans as they possibly can be nobody likes fans that yell at you who don't know what they're talking about so yell at people with informed opinions that's what we're doing here at the hot read podcast making sure folks know what they're talking about so that they can talk intelligent trash um, before we get into all of that today, if you are joining us live on Monday, thank you so much. Appreciate you being here. We would love for you to go on over to Broadway Sports Media's YouTube page where you can be a part of the conversation. Mike William here, first time getting into the live stream before the show. Hope we're doing well. William, we're doing great. So glad to have you here with us today. And it uh, looks like we got Stoney in the house as well, who showed up just in time for the New Jersey love. I'm Both of you, I'm not sure what exactly we're talking about in terms of loving the state of New Jersey, but I've not been there. So I suppose I have to withhold my judgment. I've been close. I've been to New York, which I've been told is the much better side of the Bay. But um, yeah, we we, uh, we would love for you to be a part of the conversation. And you can only do that like William and Stoney and Jordan and Jacob. Um, if you go over to Broadway Sports Media's YouTube page and on the comment section of this live stream, there is where you can leave your thoughts, comments, questions, and we will be able to see them on our end and display them for everybody to see. But if you could do me one big favor before we get into today's substance, um, I would love for us to be able to share this show with as many people as possible. So if you're listening now live, thank you. Do me a huge personal favor, super quick. Just hit that like button, hit that retweet button, hit that share button, um, whatever you can do on your interface. Uh, copy the, the link and send it to a buddy who you know will enjoy the show. All of that, very helpful to us. We want to get as many eyeballs on here as possible. And without further ado, JT, oh, I almost forgot to mention, uh, we are, I think as of today, just one calendar month away from real life, actual 
NFL football. None of this preseason. I mean, preseason is going to be fun. It's going to it's going to be the little appetizer to satiate our sicko brains hungry for football. And those of us that like to get deep into the depth chart weeds, it'll be nice to try to figure out who is and is making the team. But we've got real Thursday night football, the opener, the Chiefs and the Lions one month from today. I cannot wait. And with that, JT, if you would not mind walking me through some of these topics from training camp, and I've got some thoughts that I'd like to share with the people. Yeah, let's move on. And of course, we have to talk about the ever ongoing quarterback battle kind of battle that is that is taking place in training camp. So what did you see from all the quarterbacks today that stood out to you? Yeah, I wanted to talk about the quarterbacks because as we get nearer and nearer to the Titans' first preseason game of the year this weekend, Saturday at noon Central Standard Time in Chicago, just for anybody that wasn't aware, that is the first preseason game the Titans will be playing in. And I'd imagine we'll be seeing a healthy dose of Malik Willis and Will Levis in that game. Now, nobody is willing to uh, admit, or maybe there truly is not, but I kind of refuse to believe that. Uh, there, there doesn't seem to be a plan, at least a plan that we're allowed to be privy to, in terms of who will be playing when. Whether that's true or not yet, um, we'll find out later this week and we'll report that on the show. But I'd imagine it's probably going to be a one half one guy, one half the other. And so we'll see plenty of football from both guys. I would be kind of shocked if Ryan Tannehill took the field maybe for a series. But I'd imagine that comes with the starters maybe later on in training camp. Regardless, it's going to be mostly Malik and mostly Will. And JT, I think that this weekend is when the as coined by Mike Herndon, a fantastic. He doesn't come up with he. Some of his turns of phrase are straight up whack, but this one is very good. I think the Levisance begins this weekend in Tennessee Titans land. Um, I think Will Levis is going to really, really impress folks in the preseason opener, assuming he gets a fair share of playing time. And if that is the case, I think that the perception both locally and nationally will officially shift over to Will Levis has overtaken Malik Willis for the backup role to Ryan Tannehill on this roster. He is firmly in that driver's seat and has made the leap. I say that based on what I've seen at training camp. And this is not to say that Malik Willis has looked bad per se, but there are some things about Malik, some areas of his game that are still concerning and frustrating and just flat out not up to snuff with some of the things that, of course, Ryan Tannehill and even Will Levis can and are regularly doing at practice right now. The number one thing that that takes him down a peg for me, that bothers me about his game, is his general command of the offense. And JT, this takes me back to, what, eight, nine months ago when you and I were sitting on this show talking about following one of the games in which Malik started and I think it may have been the game that ultimately he got benched afterwards when he gave that press conference that, you know, I came on this show and was like, his play didn't really concern me all that much. But his demeanor, the way that he's carrying himself, just the 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 vibes he's got, this <laughs> very elite analysis, but truly just the vibe he's giving off didn't really match what you want in a starting quarterback in the NFL. And that concerned me, and it still concerns me. And I'm, I'm not saying that he's just got a bad attitude or bad body language or any of these things. But there are certain cir circumstances, certain situations in practice in which the way that he's handling the, um, the, the field general element of being an NFL quarterback just is not up to snuff. And today we kind of saw that towards the end of practice 
when the Titans were running two-minute drills with all three quarterbacks, giving all three guys their fair shake to move the offense down the field and at least get three points on the board. And Malik's turn was easily the worst. And it, it, it didn't really come down to execution as much as it came down to his inability to handle the situation, to handle the moment, to handle the other 10 players on his side of the ball that he's supposed to be leading in that moment. And there were multiple times during that two-minute drill in which Mike Vrabel was having to yell at, bark at Malik, get going, like, let's go, get get, get down the field, You the clock is dwindling, you have 40 seconds left in this two-minute drill, and you got to get in and out of the huddle, you got to know wh what level of operation is necessary given the circumstance, whether the clock is stopped, whether it is running, how much time you have left on the clock, how much room you have uh, between you and field goal range, all of these things as a quarterback have to be flowing through your mind as you are executing your job in these situations. And it's certainly, I mean, I'm not a quarterback, but I'd imagine it's one of, if not the most difficult, most mentally taxing situations that a quarterback finds himself in regularly in games. But it's something that he just doesn't seem to be able to handle right now. And we've got a clip from Mike Vrabel that I wanted to play. Um, uh, you know, Actually, I think I forgot to pull it. So I'll just have to tell you about it. Um, <laughs> I meant to pull it. I wrote down clip and then I think I forgot to pull it. But we asked Mike Vrabel a, if there was kind of a disconnect between what he's wanting from his quarterbacks and from what Malik Willis is doing out there on the field. And he played it off and, and his response really to me indicated if nothing else, yes, there are still some serious things in Malik's game that we have a problem with, or that just aren't up to, up to snuff for us that we aren't happy with, but he's not going anywhere. We're keeping him on this roster. That's it was very much a defend my player moment for Mike Vrabel, which JT, you and I know like he, he picks and chooses those spots. Sometimes he chooses to downplay a player's success or a player's level of overall play in a question. And, and you're like, whoa, okay, maybe he's not that high on a guy right now. You know, I asked him about Alize Mack, who I've been very high on during Friday's press conference. And he's a new, he's not a, a rookie, but he's a new young player who he, he gave that answer where it's like, Mike, are you really not in on this guy? Or are you just downplaying him because he's a rookie because he's new to the roster? Um, he gives that kind of response a lot. So when he goes to bat for a guy in a press conference, to me, at least that indicates a level of maybe loyalty is the wrong word, but a level of faith, a level of backing, like, Hey, I, this guy, he's, he's in, he's in the inner circle. He's in the trust tree. And I think Malik is for, for Mike Vrabel, which is certainly not something we could have said nine months ago. We thought that Mike Vrabel was very, very out on Malik Willis. I don't think that's the case anymore, but there still does appear to us in the media to be this disconnect in those high pressure, um, high burden of, of field generaling moments for, for quarterbacks with Malik, where Will Levis, one of his strengths as a quarterback, I would say is very similar to Ryan Tannehill in his demeanor, the way that he is able to be that very strong um, confidence, inspiring field general out there in the huddle and pre-snap when he's when he's calling motions he's calling out reads of the defense when he is telling guys where to be and what to do and making checks and all of these things he's naturally very gifted at that and that's something that i think i'd imagine the titans coaching staff and front office were really attracted to in him as a prospect and one of the reasons why they felt he'd be a nice fit and may ultimately prove to be one of the reasons why he's better earlier than folks think and he is, is proven to be that quarterback too this weekend. 
But that is something that is really bothersome about Malik's game. And I think ultimately one of the biggest, if not the biggest reasons why he will be passed up as the second string quarterback. And I could be wrong. And the reason why I could be wrong, frankly, is because the other half of the coin with Malik is right before this two minute drill kind of fiasco at the end of the fiasco is a strong word, but clear and utter failure to launch at the end of practice. He makes this gorgeous seam route pass to, I want to say Reggie Roberson, but I'm not positive. I mean, like at, at this moment, we're going to talk about Roberson in a second. My default on big play, if I can't remember who it was, is kind of Roberson because he's tearing it up right now. But um, regardless of who it was to, this, this gorgeous deep ball pass with great anticipation, great touch, great timing, um, layers it in between the, the safety over the top and the trailing cornerback on the route, drops it right in the guy's bread basket, and it's like a 50-yard 50 air yard pass for a massive completion. And he does that kind of thing seemingly effortlessly flawlessly. And you're like, wow, that is gorgeous. This guy's got a cannon for an arm. He's truly a talented physical specimen, right? He's, he's, he's got, he's got it in his body. He's got the traits. He's got the skills. I just, I really do worry about between the ears and in terms of just his personality. And, you know, Marcus Mariota was this way too. We had a lot of concerns for years about like, yeah, he's got a lot of skill as a quarterback. Physically, he's gifted. But is he going to be that leader of men that you need him to be? Can he be like Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes and Peyton Manning chewing, you know, and Ryan Tannehill chewing guys out when they need chewing out, uh, getting on guys asses when they need to be gotten on to, you know, being being the the um, the 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 confidence inspiring guy in the huddle, you know, the Joe Montana story from back in the Super Bowl when they're trailing and they get into that huddle and, and you hear from every guy on that offense talk about how they were, they were scared to death. You know, just that moment is you're, you're so nervous because you got to score in this two minute drill to extend the Super Bowl. And Joe Montana's cracking jokes in the, in the huddle, like keeping the, 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 um, the, the, the vibe light and, and um, keeping, keeping guys loose. Like, that that's the kind of intangible leadership qualities in a quarterback that you really need in the NFL to succeed. And I just, I still don't know if Malik Willis has that. Yeah. And I mean, we kind of have seen this, that it's just like with Malik, he just comes from such a different background and system that um, he had at Liberty. And I feel like that's why we kind of have seen this uptick in Will Levis because he does come from a more, um, kind of similar kind of setting. And I think we right. also are taking into account that Malik probably was a three-year project regardless. Yes. Um, and we are still, two. and we are still very much into it, but I'm interested to see how he does, uh, how both of them do this week. Another kind of position group here that I'm very interested to see how they do this week. And even Jordan p points out that the offensive line needs some snaps together this <laughs> Strong Saturday. Strong argument for that. Um, Strong argument. There was a lot going on today, of course, with Jamarco Jones being uh, waived on Friday. They brought in a new guy in Justin Murray. How did the offensive line look today? Kind of give us some highlights from that. Yeah, there's a couple of things, and I just I want to address the uh, the comment section real quick before I dive into the offensive line. Um, Jacob saying, no, actually, we need to talk about Terrell Williams being head coach for the preseason game. Yeah, we will. We'll get to that. Um, Jordan saying that if Levis outperforms Malik this Saturday, he is calling it that he will start the following preseason game. I think that that's a fair assumption. 
And then Jacob saying, well, does Levis give me the warm fuzzies with his vibes compared to Malik? Yeah, he does. That Those are, there's some warm fuzzies there with, with him, as opposed to what, what I get from Malik and just, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like you all understand what I'm trying to say in the sense that some guys just inspire confidence and some don't there's that not to say that Malik's a beta, but there's that alpha beta situation with guys that they just give off that energy. And with Will Levis, it is clearly an alpha energy, clearly a leader energy with Malik. It's not so clear. Um, so the offensive line, can we, I, I feel like we've not danced around this, but said it in a hundred thousand different ways on this show, except for the most explicit. So I just want to get it out there and, and make sure we're all on the same page here. And those of you that are listening live, chime in in the comments if you agree or disagree with this um the titans season pretty much hinges on the offensive line like we're we're all on the same page about that right like the in terms of make or break position groups position groups where you have fair significant question marks going into the season it's not really the defense besides the depth, right? Like it, injuries is always there with every team. Like you can, you can throw it. Cause if any team gets injured enough, it's a disaster, right? So with depth and all of that, yes, we, we are on the same page there, but in terms of the top line starters, it's not the defense, the wide receiver group. A lot of people had questions, but now Deandre Hopkins is here, the savior of, of the, the Republic and is going to make things okay. Apparently, um, which I agree with not to be, you know, so sarcastic, but like, yeah, yeah, I think it's fine. I thought it was fine before, but it's definitely fine now. Tight end group, Chig, need I say more, right? Quarterback group, you can dislike the top-end talent of Ryan Tannehill, but he has not been the problem for you in the past three seasons outside of one very unfortunate playoff game in which he was the problem and has earned his reputation fairly or unfairly, and I would say largely unfairly because of that one game. But in the other 50-some-odd games he's played with the Titans, he's not been the problem for them. Running back group, clearly not a problem. It's the offensive line, right? Are we sure? I mean, Jordan says he big times agree, big time agrees rather. And so, yeah, and he says we can have all the weapons in the world, but if we can't block those wide receivers, we'll not be able to do anything. This is true. And so, yeah, the, the season hinges on this group. I think we're all on the same page there. Let's talk about, I've got three categories here I want to address. The good, the concerning, and the dire, okay? The good is your rookie guard. Slash tackle. We talked a lot about this in the spring, but currently playing guard, Peter Skaronsky. Okay, I've got a, an actual clip that I actually pulled here. It's clip one, JT. We asked on Friday, head coach Mike Vrabel, what he has seen from his first round pick, rookie Peter Skaronsky as, as a guard, you know, playing a position he's not played before, but certainly one that we're expecting him to be able to plug and play right away and at a pretty high level as well, considering the very, very high, if not the highest in the draft floor, JT, that you and I prescribed for him as a prospect coming out. Um, and here's what Mike Vrabel has said about what they've gotten out of their rookie so far. Actually, you know I mean? I think it's been kind of what we thought. You know, I think that that's his play strength, his core strength, his, his balance in there. I mean, he, he's some pretty significant players that he's, you know, wrestling with. And so I think that'll be really good work and those guys have been going hard they've been trying to take care of each other so that's those are valuable reps you know they you can't recreate those I mean, maybe not even in the game so i, I really uh, think that those guys are all working together and trying to trying to push each other 
and Mike Vrabel's opinion is certainly more valuable than mine on player evaluation. But I can tell you from what I have seen at practice, I 1000% can second this. He has been the most consistent, most stable, I think best performing offensive lineman. Um, you've gotten some really good play from Aaron Brewer as well at center. And he, you know, he's a veteran, so you'd expect that. But like he's, it's those two, they're the two guys that I really don't have questions about going into the season. Aaron Brewer, if he was playing guard, I'd have some questions. But I think as that undersized center, as we talked about a couple of days ago, he's going to be a very valuable piece, assuming they use him. If he's utilized correctly, he's going to be a very valuable and productive piece at the center position. Mentally, he's certainly all there, and he's getting compliments from all of his teammates about how, as the general of the line, he is stepping up to the plate in that regard. Um, but Stoney's saying someone needs to wrangle up that dog shoot on uh, Mike Vrabel's hair. Yeah, that was after a rainy day, so that certainly was not a good hair day for any of us out there. Um, yeah, he's been really, really good, JT, and I think that it's a glass half full, glass half empty thing because it's like, wow, you know, your rookie first round pick, the first ever pick of Rand Carthen's GM career. It's looking like it's going to be like we said when they, what do we call it, JT? It's a solid double. It is not, maybe not a home run, but man, it is, you can't go wrong with it. You need it. You got to have it. And it's a, it's a solid pick. Uh, no question about it. And um, I, I think that that is, already the case with him but on the other side of that coin the glass half empty is hey if your best offensive lineman is your rookie offensive lineman maybe your offensive line is in trouble and that certainly could be the case which brings me to the second category the concerning and i think that this is the and people have talked about this i heard uh, our buddies zach lyons and mike herndon talk about this or excuse me zach lyons and Braden gall over on a football show earlier today which you should go check out after this show talk about this very point I think the single most important the most pivotal player maybe on the entire team JT is left tackle Andre Dillard I think that and as Mike uh, Herndon did talk about last week on football and other f-words which I thought was a great point and I agree entirely you you simply cannot have two bad tackles you can't have dual bad tackle play for any stretch of the season lest you want to lose all the games in that stretch of the season like that. That's kind of how it goes. And we saw that last year with the Titans with the perpetual revolving door that was Dennis Daly on one side. And then uh, NPF who started the season strong for a third round rookie. But then by the end of the year, as things started to deteriorate around, around him and he kind of hit that rookie wall, you suddenly had games in which you had bad tackle play on both sides of the ball. There are ways to mask bad tackle play on one side of the ball. You can slide protection. You can chip help with the running backs and the tight ends playing the fullback position. You can uh, roll out to your strong side. You can, you know, there's there's plenty of things you can do to mitigate the damage of uh, taking on water on one side of the line. But if you are taking on water on both sides of the line, that ship is sinking, my friend. There is nothing you can do. Your offense is pretty much dead in the water. And so... That is a situation where, excuse me, this is a situation where we know for the first six weeks of the season, you're pretty much guaranteed to have bad right tackle play. Like, as we talk about who the best, most suitable replacement is to fill this right tackle hole, that is with the caveat of, hey, best is a super relative term. 
And we're talking about the shiniest turd here is really what this is. Like, it's not a great situation, no matter how you slice it, unless somebody miraculously steps up to the plate and has a breakout of all breakout first month and a half of the season. And I, I want to talk a little bit more about that right tackle position in a second. But on Andre Dillard at the left tackle position, because that right tackle is pretty much certain to be bad for the first month and a half. You have to have good play from Andre Dillard at the left tackle position. And I have some good news. I bear some good news on that subject. The past couple of days, and I was talking to my buddy, Teron Davenport, uh, with ESPN today about this. And, and he and I agreed, and he was the one actually pointing this out to me, that you know Andre Dillard has had a good couple of days. Today in particular, he was picking up the bull rush of a number of the Titans' best players in Arden Key and Harold Landry and um, Danico Autry. And he was taking them in stride and holding up on his side of the line very well. He's been streaky. There's no doubt about it. He's been streaky in camp, and he's had some really, really bad days, such as the Arden Key, the, the, the infamous Arden Key seven-sack weekend day when I was in Vegas and didn't get to see it. But I've heard from many reliable sources that it was U-G-L-Y ugly. The past couple of days have not been that bad, which is a good thing. But you do have to wonder, is this a guy that, well, is streaky, right? Is he going to be a couple games up, a couple games down, you know, ebbing and flowing and, and not able to recover, you know, has a really bad first quarter and can't recover the rest of the game? I don't know. And with a guy who was a top 15 overall pick when he came out, goes to the Eagles, gets injured. When he's injured, is replaced by a guy in, uh, I believe, Lane Johnson, right, who comes in and is a stud out of the gate and is one of those guys that truly does come out of the woodwork, and you're like, wow, this guy is like a top 10 player at his position in the NFL, arguably top five. And so he loses his job. But he had a couple years there where he could battle for it. He could try to regain it. He could, you know, he could up his his trade stock and, and like, you know, prove his value in other ways. Potentially the Eagles looking to offload him somewhere before his contract ran out. All of these things. That wasn't the case. Right. And so you wonder just I'm not saying he's not a mentally tough player. I don't I don't know him well enough to say that. But I am saying that you do wonder based on what we've seen at camp. It makes me wonder, at least whether or not he's going to be a guy that can um, uphold um, throughout at least the first six weeks of the season. And then again, it's not just to get through six weeks. Then MPF comes back and like where I'm expecting a second year leap from him, but he's going to be a guy that has not only not played football in six weeks, but because of his suspension, as soon as the preseason is over and the Titans get into week one practice, he's exiled. He's banished. Like he can't practice with the Titans at the Titans facility. So he's going off to do his own thing. And Z Dean asks here a, a poignant question. Is NPF allowed to play in the preseason? Z Dean. Yes. Yes, he is. If so, do you think they will play him or let the new guys play right tackle? I'd imagine they play him a decent amount. Cause it's going to be the only action he gets until what mid October. Yeah. Mid October JT. So um, I'd imagine that I mean, he's not going to probably play the entire, the last thing you want is, is to go from missing your starting right tackle for the first six games to missing him for the season because he, you know, God forbid, has a season-ending injury in the preseason. But to get him some reps, to get him some some juice, I'd imagine he plays more than he otherwise would have in this preseason because, again, he's going to go a month and a half after that last preseason game without being a part of the Titans organization. And then he's going to come back in, and you're going to need your best from Andre Dillard. But before I move on to the right tackle position and, and what the Titans have at their disposal to, to try to patch this hole, and they don't have much. It's mostly Doug tape and WD 40, which fixes most problems, but not NFL right tackle position. Um, 
let's let's look at this clip. Uh, we asked Mike Vrabel today about Andre Dillard and what he felt he has in his left tackle as he's progressing through camp. JT, let's play that clip. Well, I'm glad you liked the, the day that he had, Toronto. Appreciate the evaluation. Um, I do think that he's gotten more comfortable just being here, and I think he's gotten in better playing shape. I think you can go and run, do sprints and everything, but it's a long day for an offensive lineman. It's a lot of individual, and uh, then you come over here and, and, and run some, some team reps and then two minutes. So I think the biggest thing has just been his conditioning and confidence to to go out there and block these guys. And that, you know, that looks like he's improved each day. So let's talk about the Dyer, the third offensive tackle category I want to get into here. Um, and Pretty Boy Lipschitz brings it up. A name to watch out for is Andrew Rubchich. He's now right tackle with the twos and holding his own. Can confirm. I saw this with my own two eyes today. He was the right tackle with the Titan second team. Rookie Jalen Duncan was actually playing left tackle as the second team was out there, which was kind of fascinating. He's in that mix with Rubchich and then Duncan as the, the Titans sixth round tackle selection in this year's past draft. And then the undrafted free agent, Johnny Joku, who injured himself on Friday and, and has, you know, been, been MIA pretty much since then. But we've gone from, and Braden Gall was pointing this out to me today at camp. Like he went on vacation last week and last he was with us. It was Jamarco Jones and John Ajoku battling for the right tackle position. Now he's back a week later and it's become, okay, both of those guys are out of the picture. One physically cannot and one is no longer employed uh, by the Titans. So you've got Andrew Dubchich, you've got Jalen Duncan, and you've got some of these new guys in uh, Chris Hubbard who is taking still the first team snaps at right tackle, but it's been a while since he's started the position. He's on the older side as a veteran guy. He's certainly a uh, pass protector more than he is a run blocker. The Titans seem to be taking on this philosophy of let's bring in the pass protectors because for years now we've not been able to teach good pass protection, apparently. So we'll teach you how to run block, but I need you to come in here already knowing how to pass protect. So I suppose that's a good thing. But if Chris Hubbard's rolling out there as your starting right tackle week one, scary, scary hours for the Titans. Um, so it's a dire situation, and it's one that I think the first – well, the, the, the first six weeks before the Titans week seven by finishing off you and I will be there in attendance in London against the Ravens in week six, that first six week span is going to probably dictate what the Titans season looks like going forward. And it's going to be a pivotal situation for them, despite certainly not being at full strength at the position group of greatest need. Yeah, we can uh, move on um, to a thing that was pointed out by, I think it was Jacob saying earlier, that we can yep. talk about um, assistant head coach and defensive lineman coach um, Terrell Williams will be head coach um, Friday through the Saturday preseason game. So a uh, little interesting tidbit that um, has been talked about a lot today. What did you hear about that today? Yeah, it's super cool. And it's funny because Rabel walked up to the podium today with this very somber look on his face. And then he starts his, he, sometimes he, you know, often just goes to Teresa Walker. First question, what do you got, Teresa? Today he said, you know, before we get started, I want to just, I've let the organization know. I've told the players and uh, my fellow coaches and everybody, we, we talked about this in the press room afterwards. Like we thought he was about to say like somebody had died. Somebody had been fired. He was stepping away and you know, having to get like, I have cancer. Like that was the vibe it gave off. We're like, Oh no, like what is he about to say? And then he's like, you know, Terrell Williams 
assistant head coach. He's going to be the head coach this weekend preseason. And we're all like, oh, cool. That's awesome. It's an awesome opportunity for Terrell Williams. And that's what Vrabel talked about. Um, that this is a situation where he, you know, he's, he's very secure in his position as the head coach of this team. Okay. And I think that is something that it lends to his ability to do this. Um, to, you know, coaches that are maybe on the hot seat, this is certainly not what they'd be doing, but he is secure with the Titans organization with Rand Carthen, with Amy Adams trunk. And so he is uh, doing his best to try to help elevate the coaches that are under him for them to further their own career. He's always been an advocate for his fellow coaches. He's always defended his fellow coaches and he's always seemed to do whatever he can, whatever is within his power to help advance the careers of the coaches that are under him. And this is certainly the case. We've got two clips to share on this, both Mike Vrabel speaking about this decision. JT, let's play clip, clip three and four. Here at the organization, uh, but Terrell Williams will act as the head coach uh, for Chicago uh, starting on Friday. So I think this is a great opportunity uh, for him and for, for us and everybody involved. So uh, Big T will handle that. Clint will handle the, the defensive line. And uh, so that'll start on Friday. So you guys can handle that through Robbie um, and the communication when you talk to Big T and, and you know, kind of steer towards that. And he'll talk to you after the game and I'll come back on, on Sunday uh, and visit with you guys. So. Uh, acting as a head coach and helping that. I mean, how valuable is that? Well, again, that, that'll be something that you'll have to ask him uh, afterwards, but I just think that him dealing and talking with the trainer and, and, and you know, again, we'll have a lot of conversations between now and, um, you know, Friday, but just handling things with the roster and, and discussing those things with the assistant coaches and uh, you know, how we want to play the game or letting them make those decisions in the game and you know, we'll go into the game with things that we think we need to try to get done, and I'm sure he'll try to do that, and I'll help him, you know, where 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 need be. But I do think it will be a great opportunity, um, you know, well deserved, uh, and so this is something that I wanted to do. Not much else to say on this topic. Just think it's a super cool opportunity. And Big T is a really nice guy. I've enjoyed getting to talk to him. We'll talk to him again with the assistant coaches on Thursday morning. So certainly he'll be a, a hot commodity that morning, and we'll ask him all about what he's going to be doing this weekend, but super cool for him. Yeah. Let's move on to our favorite segment odds and ends, which mm. always starts off with the uh, kicking battle. So can you give us a kicking battle update? Yep. Here's the update. It's same old, same old. These guys will not miss on Friday. Trey Wolf was up. He went six for seven on field goal attempts, including a couple of 50 yarders. I think 52 and 54, if my memory serves me. Um, but in that mid fifties range, mid to low fifties range, his one miss was again from 46. It's weird. The last two misses from him in camp have both been from 46, but he hits from over 50 today. Caleb Shudak was up. He went nine for nine during team period, which was very impressive. Um, Wolf on, they both, these are two very different, um, less than ideal kicking situations. So Trey Wolf went six for seven, missing from 46 in the, in the rain at times, the driving rain on Friday. And then on Monday today, Caleb Shudak went nine for nine during team period, including makes from 47 and 52 um, during the main field goal period during significant heavy winds. Um, I say significant. I'd say 15 to 20 mile per hour at most of the day sustained winds. So less than ideal kicking situations in, in both categories. Again, this is coming down to preseason battle for these guys. At the moment, I think at last count, Trey Wolf has missed either one or two more 
than Caleb Shudak, which is, you know, kind of splitting hairs at this point. Um, you know, maybe ultimately it comes down to one or two kicks because that's how close this is. But I'd imagine they're going to be heavily weighted towards what these guys do in actual game scenarios when both of them kick during the preseason. So I'd imagine the Titans may be kicking as many field goals as humanly possible during these three preseason games in order to get them as much practice as possible. But JT, before I move on, I just wanted to point out to some folks, I got to pull up this notification on my phone. The tight, the Titans have a really good thing going in this kicking competition right now. Both of these guys, whoever they choose is going to, unless they suddenly just fall apart when they get to the season. But like I've seen now for, you know, two weeks, three weeks of this. And then in the spring, the same deal dudes won't miss. They haven't missed for like a month plus of practice. They both have significant range. They both are consistent. Like whoever they pick is going to be a good starter, in my opinion. And whoever they don't pick is probably going to very quickly get picked up by somebody else in the league and and vie to be their starter. I got a notification today on my phone. I, I follow Fantasy Life, right? The Fantasy Life app, which is fantastic. And one of the notifications that I got today was that the Dallas Cowboys, and I'm trying to find it here, the Dallas Cowboys decided to cut Tristan uh, Vizcano, uh, which was one of the two guys battling for their kicking position. And last week we heard from the Cowboys, by the way, last season was the, what was it? Five missed field goals or extra, extra, points. extra points by was it Greg, the leg. Am I uh, or, Brett Maher, Maher, uh, Brett Maher, unceremonious exit from the Cowboys last year. Now they're trying to find a new guy. And so they cut this Vizcano kid leaving Brandon Aubrey as their only kicker in camp. So far in camp, Vizcano had gone 18 of 35. The guy they're picking as their starter, Brandon Aubrey, has gone 22 of 35 in camp. So Trey Wolf and uh, Caleb Shudak have both gone easily 95%. There's not been a day where either of them has missed two kicks, I don't think. They're, they're a no misses or one miss kind of duo on any given day. So Titans fans, you got a good thing going in your kicking competition. And unless these guys just are the ultimate um, losers in the limelight and just cannot handle game situations, but they're great in practice, you're going to have a good starter. However, it shakes out. Yeah. And then once again, today, the defense was putting it on the offense. They, they, hmm. they almost, uh, they almost just dominated today. Um, oh, yeah, your, they did just dominate. It. I mean, frankly, they were in the wind was not helping. I told somebody on Twitter, like the offense machine works. Just don't turn. Please turn the rain and the wind machines off. Like we need we need those not to be happening because we've had both of those conditions the last two practices. And it's been kind of tough. It's been kind of tough for the offense, the passing game in particular in some uh, like at the end of practice today, or the last 30 minutes of practice. I think the offense completed one out of maybe a dozen pass pass attempts. It was a lot of running and it was a lot of incompletions and near interceptions. The defense, and it's again, it's glass half full, glass half empty. And Mike Rabel put it this way in a press conference a couple of days ago. He said, it's like a putt in a competitive round of golf. Whether you make it or miss it, it's going to make one guy really happy. And it's going to make one guy really sad. That is when you're, when you're playing inter inter squad games like this, when you're, when you're fighting yourself, Titans offense versus Titans defense, they can't both be incredible, right? Somebody's got to lose the day. Unfortunately, the offense continues to lose the day. And uh, star safety Kevin Byer was talking in his press conference after practice today about he's like, I'm biased, but I think the defense has won most days. And I tweeted out like he is biased, but I'm unbiased. And I'll back up and say he's right. That is, in fact, what is happening. Um, this defense is going to be really good, man. And we'll talk about that more in just a second. 
when we get to our uh, position group rankings for the AFC South. But just a couple more things to talk about from the odds and ends from the past two practices. Um, this is something that I've got to be careful what I say because it's one of those detail. Like there's some details here that I I would love to share, but I simply cannot based on the rules of the media engagement with the Titans. All I wrote down in all caps is positionless football, boys and girls, positionless football. You're going to see a lot of it. They have said you're going to see a lot of it in this new Tim Kelly offense. And I can think of like seven different examples of personnel situations out at camp where I'm like, oh, he's lying. Okay, sure. Um, And it's going to be creative. And at the very least, I think I, I turned to I think I turned to Tron Davenport today and said, at the very least, I think fans are really going to appreciate early and often this season, whether it works or it's a disaster, Tim Kelly's willingness to be creative and try different things. Unlike last season, where there was a lot of banging your head into the wall over and over and the same thing not working surprisingly again and again and again, you're going to see a lot of creativity and a lot of willingness to shuffle things around, shift things up. And that's going to be, it's, I think it's going to make for some really interesting football. So positionless football, buckle up, it's coming. Um, Oh, would you look at that? Another Reggie Roberson touchdown today. He's still a stud out there. He is still easily the sixth best receiver on some days, much further up the depth chart than that. But the connection between he and Will Levis is palpable. Speaking of connections, by the way, uh, Ryan Tannehill to DeAndre Hopkins is alive and well. I tweeted today and it went somewhat viral. DeAndre Hopkins has been as billed so far in camp. He is easily the best receiver out there on most days it's he and Traylon Burks are the two clear alphas in that unit and with Hopkins they've said because he's new he has been um he's been force-fed I guess is the right word for it like they they it's not that he doesn't deserve because in games his whole career DeAndre Hopkins has been getting force-fed because he deserves the touches but in practice I think that they are even further overdoing it with how much they're giving him the ball. And so um, that that's something where I think that you're going to see a lot of him in the season. Um, I think that they're probably going to be looking to guys like Traylon Burks and Chickaconquo as, as big yak guys on first and second down, trying to take the shot down the field or across the middle for a big yard after catch gain. And then I think Hopkins is going to get a lot of looks on second and those critical like third and seven, third and eight downs where you've got to get a guy at the boundary. Um, you've got to get the first down. You need a sure handed receiver. That is him, man. I mean, he made a number of classic DeAndre Hopkins plays today that you're just every day it grabs your attention. And you're like, whoa, he was double covered and he just climbed the ladder and went over everybody and got that ball. That was really impressive. Um, the last thing I'll say on the odds and ends is this with Reggie Roberson and the wide receiver group. That you can tell based on the way things go at camp, they want Colton Dowell to compete, right? And they want him to try to make this roster. And I think that they would like for him to justify them putting him on this roster. But it's, if it comes down to, okay, we've got our five in Burks, Phillips, Hopkins, NWI, Chris Moore. We got room for one more guy. If they decided today, it has to, it has to be Reggie Roberson. It has to, um, it's just, that was kind of disappeared a little bit. Um, he's not been actively bad. He's just not really been a much of a factor. Um, so 
do they keep seven receivers every single year we talk ourselves into oh they're keeping seven and it, it's never it never happens i'm not saying they're going to in fact i i strongly think that they are not going to but this argument will be made like for sure people are going to talk about this over the coming weeks and maybe this is the year it finally happens yeah jordan says mason kids is gonna be thrown in there no he does not um so yeah maybe seven probably not but maybe i don't know and with that Let's move on to uh, the final segment. Well, actually, we got the news. Can we get the news out of the way, JT? Can we do that yeah, and then get to the rankings? Yeah, let's do a lightning round of news here. All um, right, here's the news with producer JT. Yeah, so first let's talk about uh, the new Titans offensive lineman, Justin Murray, that they brought in over the weekend. And thanks to Zach Lyons over at Football and Other F-Words tweeting this out, just the the lowdown on the new Titans offensive lineman. He has two seasons as a majority starter in 2019 and 2020. Um, as it we kind of described, he's not a good run blocker in those two seasons. He has 899 pass blocking snaps in those two seasons, uh, which allowed four sacks, three quarterback hits and 29 quarterback hurries. And over uh, a career, his career, 988 pass blocking snaps, seven sacks allowed. Yeah, we spoke briefly with him today. Um, We need more sample size. Like I'll, I'll give my thoughts on him after we see a couple more practices with with him in there today really didn't flash to me. But I also wasn't really looking for him out there. So that's that's on my short list of guys to pay attention to. Yeah, moving on, we finally got a end to the Alvin Kamara saga as he was suspended for the first three games of the regular season for his role in a fight in Las Vegas in February 2022. So along with Tri Turner, uh, this means Alvin Kamara will not be uh, playing against the Titans in week one. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Trey Turner, by the way, but it's Trey it's, Turner. Weird, it's weird spelled. Um, yeah, that's two big, big names that I think are going to be a significant impact for the I mean, in terms of starters lost so far, it is Saints two, Titans none. Find all the wood you can to knock on, boys and girls. So far, the Titans are they're still healthy. Anyways, moving on here uh, before we have to talk about more of that, uh, the Saints <laughs> are not only working out running back Kareem Hunt earlier today because of the suspension, but they also worked out linebacker Anthony Barr. So just some veteran news there. Yep. Um, another veteran that was probably the highest rated uh, defensive player on the market still. Sit down uh, before you say these numbers, because this is crazy. Yannick Ngakwe is signing a one year $10.5 million deal in $10 million guarantee guaranteed with the Chicago Bears. Um, just just for reference, Ngakwe ranked 28th out of 49 qualifiers and pass rush win rate at edge last season and is 39th out of 43 in run stop. Uh, boggles the mind a little bit. Doing? What are you doing? That is such a bad contract. Maybe I'm crazy, but that is. And it's so funny, too, because you see Chicago fans being like, oh, yeah, we got Yannick Ngakwe. Y'all can't. His brother. <laughs> Yannick Ngakwe is a fine pat. I mean, again, middle of the pack pass rusher last year and a straight up liability in the run defense. So bad, so bad on, on the run defense side of the ball. So, okay. If he's your best player on defense, y'all better score a lot of points. That's all I'm going to say. You better score a lot of points couple of other notes here. Uh, one, the Eagles are signing two linebackers to one-year contracts, former Steelers linebacker Miles Jack and former Titans and Texans linebacker Zach Cunningham. So after getting cut earlier this offseason, Zach Cunningham finds a home there. 
And then uh, some concerning news out of Texans camp. Speaking um, of guys that are, uh, he's the opposite, actually. All run defense, no pass offense. Yeah, they, um, speaking of the Texans, their right tackle, Titus Howard, is expected to miss four to six weeks after undergoing hand surgery today, giving him a chance to return for Houston's uh, September 10th regular season opener versus the Ravens. But if that does not happen, newly signed uh, offensive tackle George Fant will probably fill in on the line there. Hey, we've heard of that guy. Maybe we'll get to see what a starting right tackle George fan actually looks like after all. Um, and it, tough, tough for fields tough, or yeah, not fields uh, tough for um, Stroud and wrong. OS, OSU quarterback <laughs> tough for Stroud and tough for the Texans as they now have had two relatively significant injuries on their offensive line in the past um, in, in as many practices, I believe. So certainly a tough situation. Is that it for the news, JT? Yeah, that'll be it for the news today. All right, thank you, JT, for bringing us the news. And with that, we're going to end the show today going position group by position group. JT, you and I came with our lists. We got them made up here. We're ranking the AFC South teams at each position group, and we're going to see if we agree or disagree. And then this will be a fun thing to revisit at the end of the year to see how incredibly right we were or hilariously wrong we were. Um, let's start with the quarterback position, which is probably the easiest and certainly the place most often to start. JT, I'll let you go first. How did you rank the AFC South teams by their quarterback room? Yeah, so I went uh, number one, Jacksonville, number two, uh, Tennessee, the Titans, number three, the Texans, and number four, Indianapolis. Um, just quick thoughts there. I think Trevor Lawrence, I, it's hard to find an argument to put uh, Ryan Tannehill over Trevor Lawrence. I think he's going to make a big third There's year no leap here. Argument, um, so. And then just between Houston and Indy, I know we have a lot of hype for Anthony Richardson, but a lot of my list here is based on have we seen it before? And we hmm. have seen CJ Stroud play more football than we have seen Anthony Richardson. So it's yes, we have. also um, the depth there. I just like a little better. I agree. And it's chalk for me as well. I went Jags, Titans, Texans, Colts in that order with the Jaguars. It's just that they have the only bona fide franchise starter in Trevor Lawrence. Titans fans will tell you not yet, not yet. Yes, yet guys go watch the last eight games of his year. Like, yes, I promise. Okay. And this year will prove me like it's obvious. It's going to be so obvious. He's good. He may not be top five in the league. I'm not saying that, but a bona fide top 10 franchise starting caliber quarterback whose ceiling is he's not, I don't think he's really touched it yet. Um, he's going to continue to get better and better with the Titans. They have, uh, you know, Ryan Tannehill is obviously a bona fide starter in the NFL. And then two guys behind him who are both promising young, young guys vying for relevancy. Will Levis. The idea is he is a future starter. We'll have to see. And then with the Texans and the Colts, it's same deal for me. Um, I think that, you know, I, I kind of chalked it up to chalk with, with chalked up to chalk. Nice with both of their rookie, starters but then i just like the depth there with uh the mustached man himself garner Minshew, as i think probably the best backup in the league for my money certainly a top three backup in the league over who is the backup down there um in uh davis in, mills or excuse me yeah, it's, I, excuse me i had it backwards um, I, I wrote it down backwards. Actually, I have Colts over Texans for this reason gotcha. um I, I like i like that duo of of the backup in, in uh in, in Indianapolis over, over Mills words. Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> Let's move on to the running back position, JT. And um, I've got it in this order. Titans, 
Texans, and this is a, a hot point for you and I at the Texans running back room, Titans, Texans, Jaguars, Colts. Uh, before we talk about this, what was your order? Yeah, my order was similar except swap to um, I had Titans and then the Jaguars and then followed by the Texans and Indianapolis. And I'll give my reasoning real quick because okay. I know how much of a Damian Pierce fan you are. Please <laughs> um, type like, sleeper, baby. Now, don't lose the if faith. We're, if we're talking about the position, we have to talk. We have to address the depth. Yep. And um, even if Damian Pierce is probably the best running back out of both Texans and Jacksonville, I'm taking the versatility of both Travis Etienne and now new running back Tank Bigsby down there to create a more dynamic tandem than yep. Damian Pierce and now backup Devin Singletary can. Um, I like their game a little better. I think Tank Bigsby and Travis Etienne are kind of kind of excel in, in that offense. Um, super excited to watch them. But that was basically my reasoning. So my reasoning was similar, but the reason why I kind of similar logic, but I came to a different conclusion here. And by the way, those of you that are with us live in the chat, if you have any input here, we would love to hear why you think we're dead wrong or who you think is right and who is not. Um, the reason why I had the Texans over is because if I had to rank those four running backs right in Pierce, Etienne, Bigsby and Singletary, I would go Pierce as the obvious one, in my opinion, and then Etienne as a two. And then based on, again, and this is a projection with the rookie, like Bigsby could prove himself to be much better, much quicker. But for this year, I think that Bigsby and Singletary are kind of a 3A, 3B. And so I'm taking the, the, the team with the one and the three over the team with the two and the three. I think that that's just the ceiling you get with Pierce. Now, whether or not he's used, whether or not he is utilized in a way that is um, bolsters this this take by me, I don't know. Like, I don't know how he's going to be used in this new offense. But I do think that that is how it shakes out. And then we both agree that the Colts position group, and we don't have to talk about the Titans and the Colts. Like Titans, obviously, you've got Henry, you've got Spears. Those two are awesome. Um, with with the Colts, like their group could be good, but you've got the dramatic mess at the top there with Jonathan Taylor. Is he going to play? Is he not? If he is, he's going to be disgruntled. Is he going to be very good? Like, we don't know. And then every other guy in that room getting struck down by God with injuries in the past seven days. So Lawson thinks Colts last is nuts. So Lawson, if, if, if the last 10 days of Colts drama in that running back room didn't exist, they would be two, in my opinion. They would be two behind the top. But, it, but it's nuts because they signed Kenyon Drake, and Kenyon Drake is the truth, of course. Is <laughs> Lawson a big Kenyon Drake supporter? Yeah, I'm just, I, I, it's, it's an uncertainty thing for me. If you told me that Jonathan Taylor is himself, plays all year, and even if the rest, of, like they don't have anything else on that team, they're not dead last. I think that they are second or third. But I just, I don't know right now, Lawson. That's the reason why I have to get, the, the vibes are so bad. The vibes are so bad, and the injuries aren't great to boot. So that's why I have them there. Next position, let's talk wide receiver. JT, this math changed, I think, a decent amount with the addition of DeAndre Hopkins. Um, it looks like we have the same lists here. Jaguars, Titans, Colts, Texans in that order. I think the top two are pretty self-explanatory, right? With the Jaguars, you've got top-end talent as well as, I think, for my money, better depth. And you can tell me if you disagree. But Calvin Ridley being your one and then accompanied by Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. You've got Jamal Agnew in the mix. Um, you know, Tim Jones and, and Kevin Austin kind of make up that back end. Um, Parker Washington is a rookie. Jare Jenkins is a rookie. Like I, I like their top four in, in Agnew, Kirk Jones, Ridley better than any other, um, group in the, in the, in the, uh, division. And their one in Ridley is 
the the best one in in the division for my money is that kind of where you fell on this i mean i i don't know because i feel like calvin ridley may just be a preseason darling he may not like Could be. that, that Could is be. just something that we haven't seen yet if he is he the best one i think that's still to be determined but i'm still going with jags um mostly because uh yeah just top to bottom like they're three and four in Zay Jones and Agnew is way better than Chris Moore and Kyle Phillips are at this at this exact moment. So that's why I went there. And then I had Colts as three as default, and that's less an you know less a reflection of the Colts' talent and more an indictment of the Texans, their wide receiver room. And we we, we had on uh, our Texas Texans correspondent on the show a couple weeks ago, and that was his biggest concern in the offense, like this wide receiver room stinks it's bad man it's uh let's let's take a peek here you know you've got nico collins as your one john mechie who's a promising young guy but coming off of literal cancer you know we don't know what that's gonna be from him robert woods titans fans are familiar with him and then a couple of rookies in tank dell and xavier hutchinson who are promising but i you know i don't think this year they're gonna be incredible noah brown and then it's a bunch of so their group is tough man yeah, and and I actually just came from recording this podcast from another one, my fantasy football show that I do with the Prophet. So plug, shameless plug, plug, plug. plug, go go check it out. Super excited! But we did talk about John Mechie maybe being a a really late fantasy round sleeper, and also maybe just a sleeper to uh, to take the wide receiver one role. It, could you tell me that it it wouldn't be a a huge step for John Mechie to overtake Nico Collins as wide receiver one. No, it's not. League. And I, I'm no. with you on that take because um, by necessity, he may have to make a big leap. Someone's uh, got to catch. But also N- Nico Collins, Nico, Nico Collins did have a surprisingly good season. Um, I think we both know that Robert Woods is probably over the hill unless he kind of, now that might be biased or unbiased. I think it's over the hill. The only um, way he's not is if the last year was purely a post ACL situation. True. You know what I mean? That's the yes. only way. Yeah, but I mean, just as it is right now, I have to put the Texans last. And then the Colts, I think they, they have a fine receiver group. I don't think they have a true one. You know, Michael Pittman Jr. leading that room. Big Alec Pierce, who I'm, I'm a big fan of, was last year, am this year. And then Isaiah McKenzie to round up those starters. Josh Downs, you and I were big fans of. And so, like, there's a lot of potential here. Do not get me wrong. Ashton Doolin is still doing Ashton Doolin things. Mike Strikin <laughs> um, apparently is their definition of the preseason darling. Looks great. All preseason gets people excited and then doesn't do anything in the season. So like some promise, I just think the high end is lower. That's kind of why I had them there. Yeah, that's fair. All right, let's move on to the next position group. This is one that I think we're going to have some argument over. Our lists look incredibly different. So I'll let let you go Um, first, JT. And it's like, People are gonna yell at me here, and I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get because we are. We are the show. We we're are the Chig show, we're dude. The Chig show. But I felt like if we seriously wanted to take these rankings seriously, I've been going by. So well, I do, do want to seriously take them seriously. That is it, the like, idea. Yeah. It, it is seriously serious here that uh-huh. I want. I want to take this list by what have you done or like okay. show me what you've done. And so I proven put track it, record. Yeah. I, I I put it as Jacksonville one, Texans two. Titans three in D four. And that the sole reason it's not because I don't think Chiga Conquo is going to be amazing this year. There's just two guys in this, in this division in Evan Ingram, who has a long, has been a long time veteran and finally has shown us long-time a good season veteran with one decent season, but <laughs> uh, t- with, <laughs> and then we have Dalton Schultz, who I really, really like. And I thought he's, he has been for the last two or three years has been a very good uh, tight end. And so, Shig just kind of it falls there just because like there are two 
proven veterans above him. All right, so you had Jags, Texans, then Chig and the Titans at three, and then Indy at four. Yes. Um, I we we shared we shared our leader in Jacksonville. I make fun of Evan, Evan Ingram for only having one good year, but I do. I mean, he's not really a tight end, right? He's a glorified re- receiver. Um, yes. and and so the Jaguars are the number one team for that reason. Although their depth, Brenton Strange, who they drafted in the again bonkers second round of the draft. What are we doing? I don't know, <laughs> but he he's a guy that can offer some depth there. Um, and then beyond that, it's it's a wolf situation. Luke Farrell, who? Garrett Prince, who? Samus Reyes, who? Josh Peterson, who? Like, tough scene. Josh Peterson, the son of Doug Peterson. Is that actual? Or yes, is just- they, so they signed his son. Oh, I- <laughs> nepotism for the win. All right. Yeah, there you go. So, um, good for Josh. I'm sure he's going to get a lot of playing time. Um, yeah, so like Evan Ingram hard carrying that group. I have Titans second. And the reason why I have Titans over Texans, because we agree on Indy last. So I said they were super different. Actually, we just flip-flopped Titans-Texans. The reason why is in the past, like, three weeks, I've kind of been anti-Dalton-Pilled, Dalton-Schultz-Pilled. Mm-hmm. Um, not in the sense that he's not a productive player, not a good player, but in the sense that he's just a good player. And apparently, according to the folks who watch a lot more film than me and know a lot more X's and O's than me, I've talked to about this kind of at length. Uh, my buddy James, for example, our buddy James, who we've had on the show a number of times and we'll have on again this season. He is the definition of just a good player. His athleticism is fine. His separation is fine. His speed is fine. His strength is fine. You know, he's just fine. And in that Cowboys offense, that that situation he was in really lent itself to him getting a lot of yards. Not a big yak guy. Um, not a huge separator against corners and quality coverage talent like he's got to be used in the right circumstance to be the productive player he was the past couple years in dallas and from a fantasy perspective i think that kind of skews i think fantasy football really skews our our understanding of him as a player that's not to say that he won't have those kinds of numbers in houston i kind of think that he won't but if you told me he did it wouldn't shock me at all because as we've said the number one best friend of a rookie quarterback is a solid tight end as a dump off option that's what he's going to be for cj stroud but in terms of talented players i'm going with chickaconquo i think that he is a significantly better athlete going to be a better tight end and yes it's a bit of a projection but it's what I've seen. It's what we've seen. Like, I think that he's going to be better by the end of the year, just in talent, if not in terms of utilization. And then the depth situation in Houston, um, you've got Dalton Schultz and then a bunch of guys, you know, Brevin Jordan is a guy you probably heard of. Um, Eric Tomlinson from Denver. Jordan Murray's a rookie. Uh, Tegan Quinteriano is on the pup list. So tough scene behind Schultz. The Titans tight end room, a little bit more depth there, right? We've talked about some guys in Alize Mack who may make the roster. Obviously, you've got the rookie in Josh Wiley, Trevin Wesco as your glorified lineman, um, Kevin Rader, also a big blocking tight end. So you've got five guys that are all very different. And all of, and Thomas Odakoya, by the way, who I think may push to make this roster. He's he's starting to trend upwards in the eyes of the coaching staff. These are all guys that offer different things and they're all viable players. So that's why I have them too. And then the Colts at three or at four, rather, uh, we obviously agreed there. Their, their tight end room is fine. They've got a guy who, at least I am very big on, was big on before they drafted him. I know a lot of Titans Twitter was huge on Jelani Woods two drafts ago. Kylan Granson is just Kylan Granson, Drew Ogletree, uh, you know, Michael Pet, uh, Pet, Petway, Nick Eubanks, like I don't, you know, what whatever. Um, 
Um, but but then Mo Ali Cox is your other uh, top end guy, and then Will Mallory is a rookie out of Miami, I believe. Um, so yeah, their room is fine, but their top end talent is significantly lower, and that's why I had them lower as you did. Let's look at the next group, JT, the offensive line, the last of the offensive skill groups here. Um, I'll go first, and our lists are a little bit different, but we've got the same top and bottom. Uh, I've got Colts as the best, Titans as the worst, and in the middle, Texans at two, Jaguars at three. So Colts, Texans, Jaguars, Titans, pretty self-explanatory explanatory with the Colts at least and with the Titans. I think we don't really don't have to go into detail. Like There's a lot of question marks, a lot of new guys. They don't have one of the five positions really at all at the moment. With the Colts, you know, you've got promising guys. You know, Ryan Kelly is a, a very good center. Quentin Nelson is a very good guard who I'd imagine is going to have a, a bounce back year after a really bad campaign last year. Bernard Raymond is a guy that I was big on who they drafted two seasons ago. He's entering his sophomore campaign at the left tackle position. He's one of those international guys that like, I don't think he played football at all until he was like 18 or 19. He's from overseas and he's a freak athlete that I think played at Minnesota um, somewhere up, up in that uh, mid Midwest area. But he is a guy that I expect to take a pretty significant second year leap. The, the end of last year, he started to do so Braden Smith at right tackle. And then the weakness of their um, line, in my opinion, is Will Freeze or Will Fries at that right guard position, but he's fine. I don't think he's going to be a disaster. I think he's just fine. You've got Danny Pinter to back him up. Um, in the middle there, Texans, Jaguars, kind of a coin flip. I go Texans because of the top end talent, and their line's been beat up a little bit in the past couple days. But you've got a guy as your stalwart left tackle in Laramie Tunsil, who is as good a left tackle as pretty much anybody in the league that doesn't play in San Francisco named Trent Williams. So I think that he is a stud. Um, Kenyon Green, Green, I'd imagine, takes a second-year leap at the guard position. Juice Scruggs is a rookie trying, kind of being thrust into that center position, but I thought that he was a serviceable draft pick this year. He'll probably be fine. Shaq Mason was a shrewd, nice piece of uh, business that they did this offseason going and getting him from Tampa Bay to play that um, right guard position. Not his best year last year, but a, a good veteran player who's going to be just fine, in my opinion. And then uh, Titus Howard went down with the hand injury today, but if he is good to go by the beginning of the season, I think that he's in good shape. Uh, the Jaguars, you know, they, they've got Brandon Scherf at right guard, who they added from Washington was a nice get. Anton Harrison is a rookie at the right tackle position. Some concern there, although I think that he's a talented guy. It may take some some learning curve. Um, Walker Little at the left tackle position doesn't really inspire confidence. And then Luke Fortner at center and Ben Barch at left guard, who's on the pup right now, which means it's going to be a backup at left guard. Like, not a great situation, but not as bad as the Titans. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with most of it. I literally just flipped the the um jaguars and texans just because of kind of the news today that now you have george fant like both lines i feel like have their ups and downs and are both like they're the the two and three spot between them is so close i feel like you can just flip it every other week and um i'm not as high on like guys like Kenyon green making a second year leap as a lot of other people are there um so it could go either way. I have no problem flipping those two um, just kind of with the what's going on right now with the Texans, of course, um, kind of missing some time here in the early preseason for them to gel. Just not not my favorite. Yeah, Logan points out that Raymond was central Michigan. I knew it was like ugly colors from that area of the country. So I was sort of right in Minnesota. But yes, yeah, central Michigan. That's right. Um, and then free, he said freeze was a Dennis Daly last year. No, no, my friends, nobody was a Dennis Daly last year. Okay. Nobody ever was. It's statistically, no one has ever been a Dennis Daly, um, in terms of their sack rate allowed. 
Freeze was bad. And again, like I'm with you, he's the weakness of that line, but I think he's going to get better. And I think that he's going to be fine. Assuming the guy on his left and right, pick up the slack a little bit. And that, that, that whole line was a dumpster fire last year. Like it was not just him. Things were falling from the ceiling everywhere. Papers were being thrown. It was a bad scene. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. So we'll have to, to see there. Let's look at the defense real quick. Let's split it up into defensive front and defensive secondary JT. And we can be brief on this, but we've got, um, I'll start. I'll start with mine. Actually, I just went first. So I'll let you go first. Uh, what's your defensive front rankings for the AFC South? Um, my in this one might be a little bit of a hot take, I guess, but like okay. t- Titans one, Jags hot, two, right. mm. uh, Colts three, mm. um, and then Texans four. Just like okay. Texans, yes, they have Will Anderson. I think he's going to be really good, but they don't have anything else up there. Mm-hmm. Um, Colts, it's just like it's it's hard for me to like to want to like put them as the second right now with how like concerning a lot of like the injuries are like there's a very real possibility that Shaq Leonard doesn't come back to form and it's just like and like they had a kind of a down year like DeForest Buckner um wasn't wasn't DeForest Buckner really last year and then Quiddy Pay is kind of unproven um so just kind of like what what Jacksonville has going on right now with Miles Jack and Trayvon Walker um, and a couple out of those guys, I feel like they're kind of on the upswing, whereas the Colts are kind of on the downswing. Yeah, so I agree with you with the Titans at one, but then I disagree on the rest of your rankings. Yeah. I've got the Titans at one. I've got the Colts at two, and here's why. It's really, it's I'm buying the 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 dip. I'm buying the dip on DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart as a really nice interior duo. I think they're one of the better interior defending duos in the entire league when they're on, and I think that they will be this year. Um, there are some question marks on the edge. Like you said, Quiddy pay, you know, he's yet to make that true impression as a pass rusher in the league. Samson Ebicom has been kind of up and down, but I think that ultimately that front anchored by Stewart and Buckner, who's Buckner is Buckner. Like he, I don't think he's, he's a veteran. He's at his peak. Stewart could get better. Like, I really don't think that he's reached his ceiling necessarily yet. And I really, really like him. I have the Texans at three. So I have, I have your second place team at four in Jacksonville. And I'll say why in a minute, but I've got the Texans at three because of Will Anderson. And because of they've got some young guys on that front. I was looking at some PFF numbers. They have four interior defenders who ranked in the top 100 players at their position last year. And they've got um, the, the new edge defender that they got from Buffalo, Jerry Hughes. He'll be in his 14th season, stalwart veteran, still capable of playing at a high level. In my opinion, um, he's had good PFF grades over the, the past six seasons about all over 70. Um, and he's ranked in the top 40 at his position in each of those years. Um, and I think Will Anderson is just going to be that force multiplier, high caliber player that, that, that elevates this group. I thought Jaguars at four because they've got the last year, they had three edge defenders who ranked in the top 50 in PFF grades last season. Sounds good. So you realize only one of those guys is still on the team. One of those guys is Arden Keys with the Titans. And then Dwayne Smoot is currently a free agent after he tore his Achilles last season. Um, and so like, it's going to be the Josh Allen who wasn't really Josh Allen last year. And then Trayvon Walker show. That's kind of like what they're rolling with. Um, interior defender Devon Hamilton could have another good year after last year, but like they just lack the horses on that front. I think that they're not going to be all that great. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, it's just like I think definitely preference because I think Trayvon is kind of due for a, for a second year leap kind of deal right now. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to watch him. But like, I, I see all your reasonings. 
All right, last one here, the secondary. I'll give my rankings. I've got the Titans first, then the Texans, Jaguars at three, and Colts at four. Um, JT, it looks like you and I agree on Jags and Colts at three and four. And we have Texans, Titans flip-flopped. I love that you put Texans first. That's a that's the hottest take so far. And I, I came close to doing it. I think Texans, Titans are close. I think by the end of the year, if you told me the Texans secondary, a young group broke out in a big way, would not shock me at all. They've got some talented young players on that team. Um, the Colts, we know the injury bug has left them starting two rookies and the secondary is kind of a disaster um, based on injuries and then losing a, a starting safety to gambling issues, or excuse me, losing a starting corner to gambling issues, losing a start. Wait, right? Yeah. And then losing a starting safety to injury. Regardless, they've lost a lot of guys in the secondary already. And that group was already not great to begin with. They lost um, some big free agents as well before any of this even began early in the season. So um, it sounds like you and I disagree on Titans Texans, but I want to hear your reasoning for why you have the Texans over the Titans. I just love the duo of Jalen Petrie and Derek Stingley to absolutely yeah. break out yeah. this season. Yep, yep. Uh, it's also just because you have just a lot of depth. This is probably the deepest out of all four in the secondary here. It, I, um, think I, I think that's just why, because I think the top end talent, like, yeah, Kevin Byer is probably the best secondary player in, in, in on all four teams, but like yeah. top to bottom, I'm just going Texans over Titans, but it's close, I think. Definitely with the addition of Sean Murphy bunting and it also like, yeah, I mean, if if that entire Titans secondary can stay healthy, you know, like fingers crossed, like they, they, they do have a shot to be the best kind of secondary. But like just right now, the Texans are more deep. No, I agree. All right. That was fun. And we are done today. We'll be back live tomorrow on Tuesday. We'll be doing our regularly scheduled Wednesday show recorded early on Tuesday afternoon around 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. So make sure to come back. Join us then. We've got a guest, our buddy Nick Suss from the Tennessean joining us live for tomorrow's show. And he's a ton of fun to talk to. Going to bring some uh, fresh eyes, some fresh insight from camp, which is exciting. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe, follow us on social media, follow the show at Hot Read Pod on Instagram, TikTok, and on X or on Twitter. And uh, if you have not heard, we are partnered with Zen Sportsbooks. As we approach the NFL season, JT, and we're starting to dust off those betting chops, get ready to go back into our NFL betting degeneracy. And oh boy, I cannot wait to get the best bet gauntlet. Revan, humming back up on the horse. We're going to win some money for ourselves and for our listeners, hopefully, who are smart enough after last season to tail us. Because boy, oh boy, are we good at this whole betting thing. We put the work in. And uh, I think that uh, we reap the rewards. You got to do that betting over on our newest sponsor, Zen Sportsbook, who we have a, a, a referral code with, HotPod, H-O-T-P-O-D. Our referral code is HotPod. When you sign up, use that code HotPod with Zen Sportsbook. Um, Jacob asking for the Chiefs Lions best bets. That's a month from now. We'll work on that. We'll get back to you. Um, when you sign up with Zen Sportsbook, you get an unlimited 5% cash back welcome bonus when you use our code HotPod, H-O-T-P-O-D. For the first 15 days, all of your betting volume, you get that cash back in your pocket, 5%, win or lose. And then after that first 15-day period, 3% cash back on all of your bets in perpetuity, forever. That's a great deal. You don't have to win the bets to win the rewards. Zen Sportsbook is putting cash back in your pocket, and we love them for that. So make sure you bet with Zen Sportsbook using Hot Pod, our referral code, H-O-T. P-O-D when you sign up. That's going to be it for us today. For producer JT, I'm your host, Easton Freeze. We'll be back tomorrow afternoon. We would love for you to tune in with us live then to talk more Titans. Until then, this has been the Hot Read Podcast. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>